0: A lot of brokers are recruited to their position because they're great at sales, which is recruiting and retention at the brokerage level. Um, and so, but when it comes to running the business, that's just not their strength. And so they need someone who will come in and actually walk through a PL with them because a lot of them don't know I'm like, hey, what's your top line and what's your bottom line?
1: Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions Podcast. Where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now, your host, Bill Rissa, of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody! Welcome to episode 185 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. And uh, you know, my favorite part of the podcast is episodes like. 185. I've known of this woman for a number of years. We have mutual friends. Maybe a comment or two has been shared online, but I've never really met and spent any time with Sunny Lake Khan, who's our guest today. She's with 7DS Associates. I think many people in the audience know Sunny from her previous life as a culpable Banker Bain a broker, but, but I can't wait to get her story. Sunny, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, thanks, Bill. I'm really excited to be here doing this with you. I wish I was actually sitting next to you or across the table and we were sharing a beer and having this conversation in person, but I, I will take this for now.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have to make that happen somewhere at a conference. I'm sure we can make that happen. So
0: or we'll come down and visit Florida.
1: Well, oh, come on down anytime we got room. <laughs> so let's Perfect. Let's, yeah. Let's let's start with with you. I, I know you live in North Carolina now. But oh, we're in uh,
0: South Carolina, Greenville,
1: South Carolina. Oh, that's right, Greenville. I kept thinking Charlotte for some reason. You're in South Carolina, uh, even closer yeah. to Florida, right? But I know that you're a you're a Pacific Northwestern girl. You grew up up in the Washington State area. They really can't be much different from Washington State down to South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about those two places. Like, what do you like best and least of each place? How's that?
0: Well, you know, okay, I grew up in Seattle, my dad still lives in the same house that I grew up in. So that's how deep my roots are in Seattle is uh, I never moved until I went to college. And then I only moved 100 miles away. So I moved to Bellingham, Washington and went to Western Washington University. So I lived in Bellingham for a little over 20 years. Yes, I am dating myself because I went there for college and then stayed um, for almost 20 years after and then I moved away about two years ago, and I did a one-year sentence in Houston, Texas. Loved Texas, didn't love Houston. And then about a year ago, Rob and I moved to Greenville, South Carolina, which we, you know, we really love it. Um, it just—it's hard being away from family and friends. It really is. So that's kind of one of the things that's. It's um, we love where we live, but it is a little bit of a challenge to go see our friends and family. Um, All my family still in the Pacific Northwest and um, all of my, you know, my friends for my entire life are there too. So I don't miss the nine months of gray and rain in Seattle, but I do love, I love where I live now, but I do still have a big part of my heart in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we're three hours from the Carolina beaches, which are pretty awesome. And we're an hour from the Blue Ridge Mountains and um, the Smoky Mountains are pretty close by. It's like we're, we're able to get a lot of places from here, unlike Bellingham, which is, you know, up in the way upper left corner. So we were 20 minutes from the Canadian border, but pretty far from most other things.
1: Let's talk about this part of it. You... I I relocated from San Diego to Phoenix, now to St. Petersburg, and the humidity question always comes up. Oh,
0: my gosh. Well, nothing, no humidity is as bad as Houston, I don't think. I think Rob's first summer there, and I'm so glad I wasn't there, but his first summer there, they had 100 days in a row where it was at least 100 degrees and I think at least 80% humidity. Ouch. Yeah. So that, that's pretty rough. Um, so when people in Greenville now are like, oh, it's so humid. I'm like, oh, this is nothing. I used to go into uh, Sephora and the other makeup stores and like once a week and just ask the ladies there, like, how, how does your makeup not just slide off your face? And how do you not have your hair just grow exponentially? I mean, have you gotten used to it?
1: Well, I think I have a unique situation, right, because living in Phoenix for 17 years where we had days in the 115 range. I, I don't care what anybody says about humidity. Nothing's worse than 115 degrees because it yeah. it just hurts to walk outside the door. So yeah. so I think um, I'm comfortable with the humidity here. I think that being close to the coast gives us a little bit of a breeze so that the air is moving most of the time and that helps. But I, I just find if you stay in the shade, it's not so bad. Everybody else is sweating. So the fact that I'm sweating is not, not so bad.
0: I'm sure there's a big um, pool culture there like there is here and there was in Houston. I mean, it's like there's pools everywhere. So everyone's just in a pool if, you know, if they're near one. And right. everyone's sweaty, and we're all a big mess together.
1: Yeah, it all just works. It's all just a big yeah. mess. <laughs> so let's let's talk about. So I, I love you. You're, you're a Viking from Western Washington. Yes. Uh, let's talk about the the campus there because I I have been to Bellingham. My wife and I did a trip up to Vancouver.
0: Oh my gosh, uh, which, when were you there? Oh,
1: 1985. I
0: wasn't there that long after, but uh, I was not there yet.
1: It's beautiful up there, right? I mean, it's hard to describe to people, um, especially if you're from any sort of the Southwest, just how green and how majestic that
0: is. It is. so green. And I mean, there's a reason why it's so green because it does get, I mean, we did get a lot of rain there, but oh my gosh, the summer in the Pacific Northwest, you can't beat it. There is no place on earth that I have been, and I've been a lot of places, there's no place on earth that's more magical in the summertime than the Pacific Northwest.
1: Right. Let's talk about what you went to school for and what did you want to do when you got out. I mean, there had to be. I, I always ask my guests this question because very rarely was real estate anywhere <laughs> in the realm of possibility. <laughs> I was
0: like, <laughs> I want to grow up and be a realtor. Right. But unless there's a realtor in your family, nobody really thinks about it. Um. No, I went to Western and graduated with a degree in communications. So that kind of left things really wide open. I have minors in political science and business administration. There was a point in time where I thought I wanted to be an attorney. Um, And then there was another point in time that I thought I wanted to be the next Katie Couric on the Today Show, Mm -hmm. neither of which I pursued. Um, But I did get a degree in communications, Um, I taught public speaking for a few years while I was at Western as part of my uh, major coursework. And I really liked that real estate was not in the, um, on the radar for me, but when I was in college, I actually worked for a large general contractor in Bellingham and they had, they did a lot of work in Northwestern Washington and Southeast Alaska. And so I spent a lot of time um, learning just all about the construction industry. I worked there actually for five years. I worked there for a little while after I graduated as well. So I worked there for five years and um, did a lot in kind of the public relations and business development field my last couple of years there, just trying to help grow that company because it was a family-owned business and they were just trying to expand They had been doing a lot of public works for a long time and they wanted to get into more of the private sector. So we kind of built a plan around that of getting some more private work on top of the public works that they had been doing. But they I mean, they built like hospitals and high schools and large. They did a lot of large projects all over southeast Alaska and western Washington. So that's how I that's kind of how I started understanding The whole process, the beginning of the whole process, because the building process, even though this was for commercial construction, just the building process is so complex. But I got to know a lot of people like at the planning department for the city and the county and just getting to know people that were kind of in affiliated industries Mm -hmm. um, that I'd be tapping those relationships a couple of years later.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about what what happens. What's that moment where, uh, you know, you you either meet someone or an opportunity presents itself that residential real estate enters the uh, scene?
0: Well, I was actually after I worked for Dawson Construction, I worked for a health insurance company for a few years. I worked in marketing as well as provider relations. So I did a lot of traveling on the provider relations side working with hospitals to contract them for different um, insurance products. And that company was acquired by Aon Corporation, and we grew really fast, and then they started downsizing really fast. And so before I got downsized, I was like, I want to make an intentional move and not actually get downsized out of this position. One of my really good friends, um, her husband had been an agent, and his dad had been an agent for years in Bellingham. They're like, you should – really get into real estate and they connected me with someone who um needed a licensed assistant so i actually started as a licensed assistant in 2003 in real estate but, um, a windermere office which is a regional company um kind of west coast i think they're maybe in 10 states now so but most of them are west coast um so i started there as a licensed assistant and then basically um it was really before teams were much of a thing there But I was basically the buyer's agent as well. Um, He would go get the listings and I would work with more of the buyers. And then um, after that, I moved over to Coldwell Banker. And at that point, we were a single office franchise. And then in 2010, we were purchased by Coldwell Banker Bain.
1: And that is a big operation up there in oh, Washington. Yeah. So let's let's talk. I've talked to a few people on the podcast actually from from Coldwell Banker Bainer who have roots that kind of you know run through there. But let's talk about your time there. And you you actually were there for a while and you know did some important things there. So let's let's cover that time frame.
0: So Coldwell Banker, I was with Miller Arneson at first, and then they were purchased by Coldwell Banker Bain. And Coldwell Banker Bain is the second largest Coldwell Banker franchise in the country in terms of number of agents, but it's number one in dollar volume and units sold. And they had at the time 35 offices between Bellingham, which was almost to the Canadian border where I was, all down the I-5 corridor to Portland. And I know they've opened some more offices since then, uh, but at that point we were, I think like 1200 agents and 35 offices along that stretch of I-5. And so we had a bunch of great productive agents. I had 70 in my office. I was probably one of the larger, but like the mid to large offices. And I started there as an agent. And then I actually, during the transition from going from the single office franchise to the larger franchise, they hired me as an employee to kind of help with the implementation as well as the marketing, the social media, just all sorts of coordinating with the office and the franchise um, and getting kind of making that a smooth transition. And then from there, I became the assistant branch manager and worked on getting my broker's license. And then I became the broker and I was, or and in Washington state it was the managing broker because it's a broker state. So everyone's a broker, but I was the managing broker and I was the first person to manage that office in a hundred years that had not been part of the Miller family.
1: It seems to me like that's a really quick rise through the ranks, right? From when you got into the business.
0: It was. was. I worked my ass off, but it (laughs) was pretty fast rise up through the ranks. So so I was the assistant manager starting in like 2011 or 2012. And then 2014 is when I stepped in as the managing broker.
1: My guess is that background... In the other uh, gigs, especially maybe you know the uh, the health insurance where you're out and you're you're kind of uh, running your own show as 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 a sales a sales executive, that those kind of skills transferred very well over to trying to help kind of run an operation, right?
0: It's really interesting. Um, I <laughs> I hadn't been able to see the P and L for our office until I was the actual managing broker, and when I took a look at it, I was pretty surprised at how. I th- I'm going to take these words from Ryan Schneider from Realogy. He said <laughs> there was a lot of violence in the PNL, and I noticed a lot of violence in the PNL. And I realized pretty quickly that if we were going to keep this office open, we had to make some changes, and we had to make them really quickly. And a lot of them were not super popular, but mm-hmm. they had to happen. Like we were spending 20 grand a month on newspaper advertising in. 2014 or yeah, 2014. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's. I looked at. I'm like, whoa. And then we had probably twice as much staff as we needed. Right. And so I had to, yeah, I had to make some unpopular but necessary changes. And the office grew and became profitable. So we were we were losing about seven hundred dollars on every transaction when I um, started managing that office. And in under two years, we you know we got to break even and even a little profitability.
1: It's going to sound like it's been scripted, right? This segue is just fantastic as we <laughs> as we move to the next part of your life, which is, um, somehow. And I, my guess is that you met Rob. It, it could have been in an event. I, who knows for sure? But, but somehow in 2016. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a big change in your life. Can you do you mind sharing with listeners? No, first of all, I don't mind. Sharing. Yeah. Okay.
0: So I I got I got divorced in 2016, which is never fun. But um, earlier in the year, like in the summer, I actually I gave my notice and said I don't think this is the right fit for me. I you know I there were there were just you know there's just a lot. I got a lot of pushback from some of the people who had been in the office before. And it's not, I mean, it, that's not on them. It's just, it was a huge culture shift, one going from the single office to the large franchise, and then having a new leader step in shortly after that. It was just a lot of change, which was hard for a lot of people. And honestly, I felt like I did my job of getting the office to a place where it needed to be that I felt good about handing it off. So I gave my notice in the summer and said, I know it's going to be hard to find a new managing broker because it's a pretty small market." and Bellingham is a small enough town that when word gets out that someone's leaving, I didn't want other brokers or managing brokers to smell blood in the water and start going after all the agents and then have an office full of no one to hand over to a new person. So that was, you know, that was kind of in the discussion for a couple months. And then I went down to Las Vegas in September and um, did a panel presentation for Realtor.com during it was their first results summit and CMLS was in Las Vegas that same year and the conferences overlapped by a day and since Rob knows everybody and he is Rob he he crashed the party for realtor.com the last night and that's how we met
1: ah excellent so yeah
0: that is how that is how we met and uh, we tried dating long distance for a little while and that you know that was tough i was in bellingham and he was in texas so when he he'd be like hey i have this conference you're going to be at this one and or, or i'm going to be in seattle what are you doing um so we would try to date long distance and then at some point along there he said what are you doing for christmas i'm like well i'm divorced and i don't have any kids so i'm probably going to hang out with my parents and he's like do you want to go somewhere for christmas and I said, well, sure, why not? And so for our fifth date, we went to Belize for Christmas for 10 days. And we're like, this is either going to be the greatest decision of our lives, and we're going to have an awesome story to tell later, or the <laughs> worst freaking decision we've both ever made. And we're going to hate each other, and we will never speak again. Uh, so obviously, it turned out okay. Yeah, And uh, here <laughs> we are. So we got married a year, a week, and a day after we met. And yeah, we had our 1-year anniversary at the end of September and we're doing well. Yeah.
1: That's great. Let's and not only, you know, are you married, but you've also become, you know, partners in uh in business as well, which is it definitely creates its own dynamic.
0: That's a really nice way to say it. Right, Rob. Uh, so <laughs> Rob,
1: you and Rob now are, are both at uh, 7DS, which is a consulting firm that that works with like a whole diff, a whole lot of different areas of the real estate industry now. And a couple of quick questions for you, then we'll go deeper into it. First of all, okay. what does 7DS stand for? And second, the tagline fearless brilliance is brilliant. Let's talk about that. Where did that come from?
0: Okay. Well, 7DS Associates, that was Rob came up with this name when he first started the consulting practice. And I think that was in maybe 2009 or 2010. And so 7DS stands for seven deadly sins. And he started the consulting practice um, thinking he was going to be doing primarily marketing consulting because he had, um, he had worked for Coldwell Banker commercial in their interactive marketing department and had um, a strong sales and marketing background. And so he really thought he was going to be doing a lot of marketing consulting and marketing is really driven by the seven deadly sins. Like you think about people's kind of emotional triggers and um, that's, you know, that's what people use for marketing. And so that's why he came up with that name. And then, oh gosh, it was about a year and a half ago. We were like, we probably need to put together a website because he didn't have a website other than his blog before that. So he came up with fearless brilliance and I will give him all the credit for that because he absolutely came up with fearless brilliance. But it is, I mean, we, we give pretty fearless advice and we tell people like, you don't come to us if you just wanna make a small tweak in your business. You come to us with like, bet your company, big pivot changes that we can help you with. So that's what we do. And so we do have this fearless attitude where we know that we're not for everyone, but everyone's not for us and we 're okay with it, so we 're okay telling people that we are not the right fit and giving them a list of names of people to talk to. but with that it comes comes a great level of freedom that we get in the work that we get to do with the clients and really helping them push beyond what they 've been doing
1: right and i I know that um you know rob's focus if if you wanted to call it that is is definitely the m l s slash association side of the business and you are just the perfect fit after you know having having to do what you did at Coble Bank or in Washington. You're there on the brokerage side of things, right? Whether it's a small, medium, or even larger brokerage that wants to kind of reassess what they're doing and go in a different direction, so to have that down. Yeah. Right? Oh
0: gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. And Rob really didn't have. Um, well, he doesn't have brokerage experience, and so he hadn't been doing or didn't feel like he had the ability to work with brokerages. So. After he met me, he's like, oh, my gosh, we can expand this consulting practice to offer services to brokers now. So it's great. Um, And what I found, which I was really surprised by, but maybe I shouldn't have been, was that a lot of brokers are recruited to their position because they're great at sales, which is recruiting and retention at the brokerage level. And so but when it comes to running the business, that's just not their strength. And so they need someone who will come in and actually walk through a P&L with them because a lot of them don't know. I'm like, hey, what's your top line and what's your bottom line? And where are we at? Like, where is everything going in the middle? And they have kind of a fear surrounding it. So they don't want to spend a lot of time looking at it. And they're like, if I don't pay attention to it, maybe it'll just get better and I don't have to worry about it. So I have been helping them really dive into their numbers. and like, why do you guys have 15 different CRMs? Like pick one or two and go with that and get rid of the rest. But they, you know, they're really good at the recruiting and the retention. And it's just hard to find someone that's got recruiting and retention, like that sales aptitude, as well as, you know, business background. So it's hard to find that in one person. And unfortunately, the way most brokerages are structured is that broker has to be both of those things. And so they, you know, they are naturally gifted at sales. And the business end of it really kind of falls short. But that's just because it's not their skill set. And no one usually what I'm finding is that no one taught them how to do it. Right. And so a lot of times I'm I'll be the first one who's coming and actually teaching them like what numbers you can and can't manipulate in your PL. And if you can do these things, like this will drive revenue, you know, this will drive revenue, this will drive profitability, you know, things like things that actually move the needle in their business. And so it's, it's kind of a an exploration and a learning experience for a lot of brokers, but it's been cool. It's been really cool to help them actually get their offices from, you know, losing money to making money and having a business worth owning.
1: You know, it's funny. you, You mentioned the, uh, like the next successful salesperson becomes, you know, the broker, and it's it's same thing. Exact same thing happens in the title world. Let me tell you, um, oh, yeah. the branch manager is the next most next one in line that does the most transactions. As an escrow officer becomes the branch manager with absolutely no skills to manage people, but really good on files, <laughs> <And> <laughs> you, just, you know. And they those two skills are you know super important, and you got to find somebody with both.
0: They don't necessarily think about that. And when they position the job to the person that they're trying to recruit, they don't tell you, oh, by the way, you're going to have to do a lot of this work mm-hmm. that you don't know how to do, but don't worry about it. It's fine. You'll figure and it out. So they don't necessarily set, set us up for success in that way. Um, but I think that as brokers are getting more aware of changing dynamics in the marketplace, And, you know, for the last several years, they've been like, hey, you know what, we're making a ton of money because we're doing a ton of transactions. But as they feel things shift, they are wanting to spend more time and attention on actually having a profitable business so they can, you know, withstand the downturn that, you know, I don't think it's going to be a bubble like it was before, but I do think it's going to correct a bit
1: that's normal that's that's the way it's supposed to be we, yeah. we don't have a lot of those things in place that led to what we went through and you know the end of whatever that was 60708 but you're right yeah. there's going to be it's uh, it should be shifting from a buyer to seller market with some f- fairly regular in some fairly regular cycle right
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's the way it works
0: sure and so i think a lot of brokers are now looking at things going okay um with all of the new business models coming in with iBuyers kind of becoming more mainstream and more companies taking a look at that um, with you know possible commission compression coming from Redfin. Like what do we do to position ourselves with you know, financial security for the company as well as really positioning our agents to be successful and helping their clients win in this changing market? And so that's what we have been spending a lot of time on with, um, with brokerage clients lately. And it's pretty exciting.
1: I, I have to ask you, we, 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 chatted about this before we uh, hit record, but i hear you talk and I, uh, how do you and Rob <laughs> turn things <laughs> off and just kind of become husband and wife? This, this is, this can be all encompassing this conversation. It, it's.
0: Oh my gosh, it is. And um, I kept telling him that I wanted to start a podcast called huevos honcheros. Because we have these crazy (laughs) conversations over breakfast and everyone's like, what's it like to live with you guys? I'm like, it's a mess. So I kept threatening to do a podcast that was basically our breakfast conversations in podcast form. But I just haven't done that because our breakfast conversations, I don't want to have to pack all of the equipment every time we get on a plane. But um, we do have some, we aren't great. I'm going to be honest. We are not perfect at setting boundaries of when we work and when we don't it's something that we're working on and when we went on vacation over christmas this year we actually sat down and we're like okay let's be intentional about this what do we want our relationship to look like because at the end of the day if our relationship isn't working this business isn't working well because if we are stressed out and not supporting each other our business is just flailing and we're not giving our best to our clients. So we put some intentional things together and we actually wrote them down and um, we are scheduling actual vacations where we're going to go and not work and not talk about work. I, because he's a night owl and I am not as late night of a person there will come to a certain point in the evening where I just look at him. I'm like, I can't talk about work anymore. My brain has shut off. I can't talk about work anymore. So We're getting better about that, Uh, but it's not perfect. I mean, there are some days that we're up until two in the morning working on getting a proposal out the door or, you know, taking care of something for our clients so we can get on a plane the next day and fly out to see them, but we want to have the deliverables first. So, I mean, there are times that life is not in perfect balance, but honestly, I think balance is this BS thing that we're all trying to chase, but it's really not it's not, I don't think it's really achievable. I mean, like there's always going to be a time in life where one, one set of priorities is more important than another. And so we just are work, we're doing our best every day to work within that kind of that idea that we're doing the best we can. And as long as we are doing this together and supporting each other and coming at it like as a team, then the rest of it will, will work out. But we are making sure that we are setting some calendar dates for vacations and um, doing some fun things and you know we went out for a little date night the other night and we didn't talk about work we just laughed and drank wine and ate at this cute little french bistro downtown so it was mm-hmm. yeah and then i danced in the parking lot to someone else's wedding music that was playing really loud so yeah so we just have fun but i mean life with rob is never dull I mean, you've met him, you've had dinner with the guy, you know, like Rob Hahn is going, his brain is going a million miles an hour, 24 hours a day. And I'm never going to put him in a position where he's got to kind of throttle that back for me. But I do, you know, I'll also tell him like, hey, by the way, we can still have fun and have a great relationship, and you can still do awesome work. So yeah. it's um, it's just yeah, it's just one of those things that we're we're new with this together, but I think we're doing pretty well.
1: I think it's uh, two two very smart people uh, who who happen to run a consultancy, consulting with themselves <laughs> and figuring out <laughs> oh, as you no, work no, work, no, work no, working on a process. No, no. Let me let me let me ask you this question because the word consultants it can freak out a lot of people. I mean, right. So when I, when you hear consultants are coming into the operation, you know, and you've got all these people and the the hand wringing starts and they're wondering, what are they going to do? Who are they going to fire? What's going to happen? Is there an approach to kind of calm this down or is it more of a, well, you know, being on edge and being maybe prepared for me is better.
0: Well, I guess, okay. (laughs) When we come in, A lot of times, I don't think that our clients necessarily tell their employees that we're coming in. Okay. We are working with one right now that did tell a few of his employees so they wouldn't freak out. And it's not, at the end of the day, it's not our job to hire or fire anybody. It's our job to give advice on how they should move the company forward. And so we don't force them into any decisions that they're not ready to make. And at the end of the day, they can say, yeah, thanks for the advice. I'm not taking it. So I guess our approach is always like, we're just going to communicate with you guys what our intentions are. And if you want to communicate that to your staff, that's on you. But a lot of times, yeah, I mean, I guess we haven't really run into, or I haven't run into it at least, where people freak out and shut down. Unless they are like new that, you know, they come into the company midstream and maybe they're not a right fit. And I usually can identify that pretty quickly. And I've had to shut that down with a couple of clients where I'm like, Hey, by the way, this person you just hired is not a great fit for your organization. If you want to go in the direction that we've talked about going and achieve the goals that we've set, Mm -hmm. but if you decide that those goals, that we set are not the goals you want for the future, then yeah, let's revisit that conversation. And this person might be able to work out, but currently this person isn't going to help you achieve your goals, but really it's not my, it's not my ultimate decision. And so we are kind of removed a step from the chain of command on that, but we haven't, we haven't run into, it where people freak out all that much. Like, it's not like the movie office space where we're, you know, <laughs> people in a basement and stealing their staplers. Right. Uh, we're not doing any of that. So it's not like the bobs come into the office. And right. uh, so tell me what to do on a daily basis. I try to make sure that when I am communicating with the staff that the, you know, like whoever our client is, you know, the main point of contact knows like I'm going to call this person. If you have any insights or if you'd like me to not call this person, I've got these questions that I want to ask. Um, I try to make sure that I'm just really Communicating what the intent is behind my calls or emails or trying to, my fact-finding missions, so no one is surprised. Right. Like when I call and they pick up the phone, like I don't want anyone surprised that I'm calling them.
1: Awesome. I I know that um that you and you and Rob both have a and a, really a responsibility to keep relationships confidential. But oh, yeah. is there yeah. like a success you can share in some big broad terms that doesn't really identify a company that that kind of still that makes you feel kind of warm and fuzzy where you smile and go, man, we really we nailed this. And it they took the advice and it just worked out great.
0: There is one that I worked with um, without Rob. It was just me that I worked with them and they really have reorganized their structure, like the, their staff structure and how they Hire agents and go through the whole onboarding process. They really were, they were really open to making changes and making hires. And me telling the CEO, hey, by the way, you're trying to do too many things. Like, you can't be the CEO and the COO and the sales trainer. And, you know, you can't be doing all of these things. Like, you need to be setting the strategic mission and goal for your company. And then we need to find. The person who can execute on it and partially like he wasn't great at executing and he thought he was but he was really open to and I'm like by the way we've talked about these four things for quite a while now and none of them have gotten done so it's not because you don't want to it's because it's just not your skill set and so we found a director of operations for him we outsourced the sales training to someone else that was on his team that was super skilled and capable and is doing a great job and uh, we let everybody kind of work in their zone of genius in that office and everyone is so much happier now so yeah so I feel really good about that one I worked with them for a little over a year and it was a lot of fun I mean we went through a lot of structural changes and Dove, I dove deep with their director of operations, their marketing director, their sales trainer. Like, I had a lot of really big conversations with all of them, and they were all really on board for changing. And I also was able to tell them to pump the brakes on a couple of projects that did not make sense for them to do. So they would have gone and spent a ton of time and money and energy on a couple of projects that really were going to be more distraction than anything else. They weren't going to actually move the business for it. I'm like, unless you guys want to really revamp the entire business again, don't do these projects. And so, and they, they took all that advice and it was great. So, and they're all happy and everyone is feeling productive and fulfilled in the work that they're doing. And they're not feeling like anyone else is stepping into their lane. And yeah, so it's, it's working out really well for them.
1: That's, that sounds like a home run. That's got to feel good. Yeah.
0: It does. It really does.
1: Well, Sonny's not like, all
0: of them are home runs like that.
1: But <laughs> no, uh, they can't they can't be, but not, but it's it's great when they happen. So
0: yeah. Well, because because consulting is one of those things, like you go and you give people your best advice for them based on the goals that they've articulated to you, but at the end of the day, they don't have to take that advice. It's up to them. Right. And so change is really, really hard. I absolutely acknowledge that that change is really, really hard. And so Some of the changes that we ask people to make are way out of their comfort zone and they, at the end of the day, don't want to make them. And that's that's up to them. And it's their business. So we just we just want to help them the best way that we can.
1: Sonny, I've had you here way longer than I asked of you. So I'm going to give you the final question we've asked every guest uh, going back to now Pacific Northwesterner Jay Thompson on episode. So if you if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started in the business, what would it be?
0: Oh, gosh, do the work. I mean, you don't wake up every day and fall into a bucket of money. You just have to do the work. You have to every single day spend time on revenue generating activities, like calling people that, you know, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of like, what are you going to talk about? Just talk to them about life. You know, social media is great for finding out little highlights of things to talk to people about like hey i saw that your kid made the soccer team or hey and just call people and reach out but every day get up and do the work that is necessary because it is it's a really hard business but it is a really really cool business when you do the work
1: Sunny if somebody wants to reach out to you what's the best way for them to do so
0: Um i am let's see i am kind of taking a step back from facebook right now but i am on facebook so sunny lake hahn on facebook i'm also on instagram uh sunny lake Han on instagram or they can text me or call me my phone number is 360-319-4750 i still have my og bellingham number from when we went to uh area, from area code 206 to 360 back in 94 i think and then um Email is Sunny S U N N Y at seven DSassociates.com.
1: Sunny, I can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, you know, really I, I I was wondering when I reached out to ask you to appear on the podcast, you're gonna go, I really haven't met Bill yet, but but uh, wow, it's it was a, a fantastic interview for me. I just uh, so happy that we had a chance to have this conversation.
0: Me too. Thank you so much for reaching out. This was awesome. And now we really do have to get together and have like a beer or something.